Good evening. Good evening and welcome to the National Capital Bible Church for Bible class tonight as we continue our study in Deuteronomy. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 16 this evening and we'll be studying the the festivals, the three main three festivals. Psalm 27 tells us, The Lord is my light and my deliverance. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He also says, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your hearts. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So let's take a few seconds tonight as we begin. Confession of sins is always in order, but also asking for God, the Holy Spirit, to help us, to teach us, to help us to truly understand what is being taught, what's here, why it's here, and then apply it to our lives. So let's close our eyes, bow our heads, and then I'll open us in prayer. Dearly Father, we're thankful for your servant, Moses, who has written for us these chapters in Deuteronomy. And while they are written to Israel, we learn much about you through these chapters. And not only that, but we know that The more we know about you, the more we can apply your word to our lives. We pray, Father, for God the Holy Spirit to help us to understand why these passages are here and help us to really uh, glorify you as we learn about these passages. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn to Deuteronomy 16, and tonight we will study these passages. Let me get us over here to an outline. We are studying the overall section of Deuteronomy that is the development of the covenant fellowship the relationship that God has with Israel. And um, Moses is not going into um, the same type of detail that he did in, um, in Exodus or in Leviticus or even Numbers, but he is reviewing for the second generation much of what he's already taught them. And in some cases, there is more detail, and in other cases, it's more general. But the chapters that come to the development of the covenant of fellowship is chapter 12, 1 through 26, 19. And we are in chapter 16. 
the sixth pilgrim, point six in this lengthy section is the pilgrim festivals. And when we see the word pilgrim, right here we are for Thanksgiving. We're thinking about pilgrims. But the pilgrims in the text were those who were to make a pilgrimage from where they lived to Jerusalem so that they would participate, they would be able to participate in these festivals. And tonight we'll study three of them. As a matter of fact, there really are only three. There are many festivals that were uh, given to Israel. Many of them could be celebrated in their hometowns. But these three, these three are designed for them to uh, travel from their homes to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, as we will see, is the place where God has placed his name. And therefore, we'll see this many times through Deuteronomy, but we'll certainly see this tonight. So the pilgrim festivals here in chapter 16, are covered in 1 through 17. First of all, we have the Passover. The Passover is considered possibly one of the most important of the three. But we'll see that at the end of the year, when we study the third festival, it's called the Lord's Festival. And the other two are not addressed that way. But that doesn't take away from the importance of the Passover. Uh, It's also linked to the unleavened bread. And they're easily joined. But later on in Israel's history, and we read it also in the text of Scripture, it becomes more understood as the Unleavened Bread Festival, because that was the major part of these two linked festivals. So they become one, and that's chapter 16, 1 through 8. The second feast is the Week of Weeks, and the word for weeks here means that there's going to be a period of time from the Passover Unleavened Bread Festival. There's going to be weeks, weeks of time. And we'll see how these are, how this works. Uh, The week of feeks of weeks is probably the least known of the names of the feast, first fruits, we might hear that. But for us in church age, the feast of Pentecost is also important to us. So we have the weeks of feeks, of weeks, the feast of weeks. And this is chapter 16, verses 9 through 12. And these are really brief summaries, we might say. I want to turn back here in a little bit, and we'll turn back and uh, reread the 
what's said in Exodus, uh, maybe even uh, Numbers. But for the most part, Moses is giving these in a summary form. And then finally, the the Feast of Tabernacles. Another name that we call this is the booths. Another word that goes with this is the, the shelters. As a matter of fact, that's probably Sukkot is the name. Uh, booths are very often uh, translated that way, but it really is shelters. And this is uh, the third feast that we'll study tonight, chapter 16, verses 13 through 17. And then following this, we'll see the, the following section, point seven, is the instruments of theocracy. And this is 1618 through 1822. Now, I always give that so that tells us where we're going next. Uh, we will not study uh, verses 18 through the end of the chapter in chapter 16, but that's where we will go uh, the next time that we meet. By the way, uh, next week is Thanksgiving. And we traditionally, here in the National Capital Bible Church, have taken that week or that day, Thursday, Wednesday, for Thanksgiving. We take that day off, allowing you to travel to your families if they're out of the area or if they're coming in so that you can entertain them. But the week following, we'll be studying uh, the, the instruments of theocracy. All right. Tonight, beginning, let me begin with just some explanations uh, about the festivals here. The festivals mentioned here, these three, were the three great annual festivals which all male Israelites were supposed to attend. That's where we get this this name, pilgrim. If possible, their families were to go along. And this is one of the things that is very often misunderstood. Uh, the, it seems that the Old Testament is focused only on men. Well, that's not true. They're just the representative of their families. And instead of going through that in great details, the men are given the mandates, but they're really given to their entire family. So if possible, their families were to go along. These feasts were so important to Israel's religious life that after the dispersion, some Jews residing far from Palestine still attended one or more of the festivals wherever possible. We're told that in the New Testament, but after the destruction of Jerusalem and the dispersion of the Jews throughout uh, many parts of the world, they would still try to return to Jerusalem, as this is, as I'm saying here, to celebrate these festivals. And one of the reasons for this is that it was the importance that God has placed on these festivals. It was to bring them together, the, the tribes together, the people together, and in doing so, they would, in fact, 
uh, learn more about God. They would give thanks to God. They would have, uh, they would rejoice getting together. And there was uh, a tremendous amount of unity that was to be brought for the nation. Attending these feasts gave the Israelites opportunity to acknowledge the Lord as their deliverer and provider. And we'll see uh, how that how that works. The, ind- the individuals, as they would travel, they would bring with them uh, sacrifices, but also the priests and the Levites would have an abundance of sacrifices that would then be eaten. So it also gave them opportunity to express their faith in the Lord as they departed their families, uh, as they uh, allowed their families to be in God's care, to journey to the sanctuary. And they would be, if they were unable to travel with their uh, husband or the father, then God would take care of the family while they were gone. Or if they could travel, they would help them travel safely. These festivals demonstrated that worshiping God should be a joyful experience in which the participants gratefully share in the bounty of his blessings. And that was how these festivals were designed. If the the people were obedient, then there was going to be a bount, bountiful crops that they would be able to enjoy. As a matter of fact, there would be be more than they could bring with them. So these festivals were not just a time of worship, but it was a time of rejoicement, to rejoice. All right, let's read verses 1 through 8 in chapter 16. Verse 1, Observe the month of Abib, and keep the Passover to the Lord your God, for in the month of Abib, and by the way, this is not really the accurate translation, the way to pronounce this word, because bees in Hebrew, the baith, have they're more oftenly translated as a soft bee. So it almost sounds like a V, so it's Aviv. And that is much easier to pronounce than Abib. So these We'll probably read them properly here, but Aviv is the real pronunciation, soft description, uh, the soft pronunciation of the bath. So he says, for in the month of Abib, Aviv, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. And I think that's always interesting for us to understand that anybody unless, of course, you're in a military situation and you're trying to make a movement so that no one knows what's happening. But Israel was ordered out of Egypt and they left at night, departing. And anybody who's ever been in a a large group, well, even a small group, if you're trying to do something at night, it's difficult. Here we had 12 tribes, probably people around 3 million, how in the world they ever got started and moving in the right direction uh, that night, I'll never know. But 
we're told they did. They did it at night. Therefore, you shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd in the place where the Lord chooses to put his name. You shall eat no leavened bread with the feast, with the uh, the sac- what was sacrificed in the place where the Lord chooses to put his name. You shall eat no uh, leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with the feast. That is the bread of affliction, for you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt, all the days of your life. So you see, one of the very important parts of this is to remember what God has done for them. And I've mentioned this several times, that God wants us, as well as uh, the Hebrews at the time, to remember what he's done for them, because that is the way that they will know that he will continue to provide for them. And so that's what this is, uh, in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. You're to remember this. Verse 4, And no leaven shall be seen among you in all your territory for seven days, nor shall any of the meat which you sacrificed the first day at twilight remain overnight until morning. We'll address both of those and why. Verse 5, You may not sacrifice the Passover within any of your gates, and I think a better word there is probably in any of your towns or your villages, which the Lord your God gives you, but at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall sacrifice the Passover. Uh, You shall sacrifice the Passover at twilight, at the going down of the sun, at the time you came out of Egypt. Verse 7. And you shall host, you shall roast and eat it in the place which the Lord your God chooses. And in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. Six days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day there shall be a a sacred assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. That would be because it's a Sabbath. They're not going to do any work because that's the Sabbath. Now you'll notice that at least three times we read that it's going to be done in a location where God places his name. This was important to God. He didn't want them to do these sacrifices just anywhere. He wanted them to come to him, as he would say, where he has placed his name and where they would be worshiping him. And he would ensure this; these feasts were, in fact, done to him. And we'll see later on that there are disobedience and they would have festivals and they would have holy days to other gods. But one of the reasons why they would come here is so that they would, in fact, focus on who the Lord is. All right. In verse 1, observe, and this is our word shamar, it means to keep, observe, guard, guard, 
the month of Aviv. It's also known as Nisan. That was used later as Israel's history progressed. So Nisan is another one of the months that would be uh, included here. So the month of Aviv, and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For the month of Aviv, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. And the word here, brought you out of Egypt, is uh, emphasized. He is the one that brought them out. They didn't come out, and the word there is to go, but in the Hif- in the Hifel, it means that they are being brought. It is a forceful word. And the word for Passover here is the Peshach, and that's the word that periodically you'll hear uh, sometimes mentioned on the Passover. Verse 2, Therefore you shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock. Uh, we're going to see the word flock and also the herd. Uh, this is an additional. We, we don't read this in Exodus or Numbers or uh, Leviticus. So we generally just see the word flock. And the flock would mean sheep and goats. But here, Moses seems to add another detail here. And he says, the herd, which would mean cattle. So apparently, cattle were also able to be used here. And more than likely, it would be a young, uh, one-year-old calf in the place where the Lord chooses to put his name. So the most detailed instructions of the Passover are in Exodus chapter 12, 1 through 28. The word Passover comes from the verb Peshach, meaning to pass over. And that's what we understand. It means that Passover is focused on the Lord passing over Israel as he disciplined and punished the Egyptians. So the feast commemorated the night the Lord passed over the blood-sprinkled houses of the Israelites. You may remember that taking the hyssop uh, leaf, they would put the blood on the doorposts. So the Lord passed over the houses of the Israelites, sparing the lives of their firstborn people and putting to death the firstborn Egyptians and their livestock. So it was not only to the firstborn son, but also for the animals. The lives of the Israelite firstborn and livestock were protected by the sacrificial blood on the doors. As a commemorative rite, the Israelites were to use the Passover to teach their children about God's miraculous deliverance from Egypt. So as this this wasn't just a time for of a feast, it was a time to teach, to teach the children. The Passover was celebrated on the 14th day of Aviv. Originally, the Passover sacrifice was from the flock, either a year-old sheep or goat. The word or herd, which I've mentioned, cattle, means that Moses 
widened the choice so they could use animals other than uh, an animal other than just the uh, sheep or goat. Or another, uh, perhaps, we might say here, the sacrifice from the herd was to be offered in the seven-day feast of unleavened bread. So Moses doesn't explicitly tell us how the animals were going to be used during the feast in the unleavened bread. But it's possible that instead of cattle being used for the Passover, it was simply used for the unleavened bread. And that's another possibility. The lambs became the traditional uh, Passover sacrificial animal. And I think one of the reasons they were is they were always seen as innocent. And also, uh, they were probably uh, more numerous than uh, the goats and also the cattle. Gentiles were excluded from the Passover feast unless they had become proselytes. And we can read that in Exodus 12. Each year, Passover was observed a month later for those unable to partake uh, to partake of the feast. You may remember that we studied that in in Numbers. If for some reason there were those who were unclean at the time, or if they were away from the uh, from their home traveling, if they returned, there was a a second Passover one month later, which we very often miss. Verse three. You shall eat no unleavened bread with it, with the animal. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with the sacrifice. That is the bread of affliction. And this is one of the few places where this is actually described this way. Uh, the, the bread of affliction. Another translation here is the bread of suffering. And the reason it's used that way is it was a remembrance of their time in Egypt. Uh, one of the remarkable things is, is that the Lord tried to remind Israel of their time in Egypt and the fact that he redeemed them. Uh, but the first generation, as you'll remember, said, we want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back down to affliction to where we were suffering. And this, of course, sometimes is lost on us, but it's simply a loss of their faith. And it's important for us to remember that they are an example to us because there are times when uh, we are afflicted, we could say, that we're suffering, that there is adversity in our life, there are difficulties, and we forget that God is uh, caring for us. So you shall eat no leavened bread with the sacrifice. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. That is the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. And therefore, that would require teaching, teaching of the next generation. Verse 4, And no leaven 
shall be seen among you in all your territory, probably in your homes, in your town, is an understanding here, for seven days. Nor shall any of the meat which you sacrifice the first day at twilight remain overnight until morning. A little bit of an explanation here. The Passover was immediately followed by the seven-day Feast of Unleavened Bread. As a matter of fact, you, you'll remember that on the 14th day, I'll probably am getting ahead of myself, on the 14th day, the Passover lamb was selected. As a matter of fact, uh, it was selected 10 days, uh, four days ahead. But on the 14th day, that's when the Passover lamb was slaughtered, and then uh, it was butchered, and it was then roasted, and that would happen on the 14th, and in Jewish, a Jewish day, they would start the new day at night at 6 o'clock, and so that's the 15th, so the Passover lamb, while it was uh, slaughtered on the 14th, it was really eaten on early on the 15th. That means that allows us to remember of the nighttime. So it's at night that the Egyptian firstborn were executed. They would discover it and they would wail over it. And then Israel is told to depart. And we don't know exactly when that was that they departed, but we know it happened in the darkness. And so it was on the 15th that they ate the roast, uh, roasted lamb, and they were to eat it completely. They were not supposed to pack that with them uh, as they departed Egypt. And so that's what this is a reference here. By the way, the word here for twilight is... Uh, an unusual word. It tells us that there is a period of time here. Sometimes it's just called the evening or sunset. But the word has has had a lot of discussion. Historically, it's understood that the lamb could not be slaughtered and butchered at a specific time. I mean, this takes time. It's uh, particularly by the family that was doing this. Uh, They were not generally professional uh, professional uh, butchers. And so it would take time. But it was done prior to the end of the day, the 14th. Therefore, the time must be a period, generally between, it was understood, between 3 and 5 p.m. for us. But it was the end of the day for uh, the Israelites. In other words, as the shadows were beginning to stretch, and then the sun would set. The lamb would then be roasted, eaten, and the meal prepared during the darkness. So this is, it's hard for us to imagine how this worked because the evening sun was the end of the day for Israel, for the Jews. And when the sun set, they would start their new day. And I'm telling you, as you work your way through the Bible and uh, sometimes you're trying to work on Jewish time, it makes understanding exactly what's happening clearly. Verse 7, verse 7, And you shall roast and eat in its place 
in the place which the Lord your God chooses. And in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. So uh, this was Moses speaking to the second generation. And they're going to celebrate the Passover when they cross over the Jordan. And that's where they will celebrate their what we know as the second Passover, or the third Passover. Verse 8, Six days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a sacred assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. So the first Passover had been observed in the homes of the individual uh, Israelites, and that was down in Egypt. But later, after the central sanctuary was built, the place where God's name was to be placed, Passover would be observed only there. Now, we have to remember that the temple was not built until Solomon arrives and builds it. And there are other places where the Lord would allow this to occur. Uh, Gilgal would be one of them. Shechem would be another place. And so there were other places, but it was going to be Jerusalem where the temple would finally be built. And the Passover would only be uh, observed there. And I think one of the other factors here is that that's where once Jerusalem or Zion was built, this was also the location of the capital of of the nation. And so they would come, the Israelites would come and make the celebration there at the seat of the nation. After roasting and eating the Passover animal, the people were to return to their tents. The temporary homes of those who had come to the central sanctuary for the celebration that was the temple, uh, the, uh, the temper, temporary, their homes. In the New Testament, Jesus Christ was identified as the Passover lamb, sacrificed for believers. And we read that in 1 Corinthians uh, 5, 7. We, we've studied that. By applying the blood, the death of Christ to themselves, that is, trusting in him who died in their place for their sins, Christians are spared from their, what we could call, an eternal death. Uh, the Egyptians that did not believe died an eternal death, but not for believers. All right. Now, the, the week of the Feast of Weeks, verses 9 through 12. Verse 9 says, you shall count seven weeks for yourselves. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the grain. And that is, I, I like the way he put that in there because, or translated in the New American, the New King James Version, because that's exactly what it says. Getting out the sickle is when you're going to have harvest. Then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God, with the tribute of a free will offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. 
You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant. The Levite who is with you is within your gates, your town, your city. The stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are among you at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. Verse 12, And you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. So you will be careful. You will observe uh, what you are to do. And the emphasis there is to be careful to observe these statutes. So they were extremely important. So you shall count seven weeks, and this is the Shavah for yourself, beginning to count the seven weeks from the time that you begin to put the sickle to the grain. Now, this is the beginning of the harvest, the barley harvest. And there's quite a bit of question here about exactly when that barley began. But it appears that it began as soon as the 15th was concluded. Uh, So there was uh, harvesting that was going on during that week of in some locations. And there would be grain brought to Jerusalem at that time. So the name Feast of Weeks was given this festival in light of Moses' command to count off seven weeks from the time they began to harvest the grain, in which was in March and April. This would mean the Feast of Weeks was in late May or early June. It was also known as the Feast of Harvest. It was also known as the Day of First Fruits. Later, it was given the title Pentecost, based on the Septuagint, the Septuagint's translation of the 50 days. So the we would say seven weeks, each having seven days would bring us to 49. But it was also it also included the Passover. So that gave us 50 days. That's how we get Pentecost. Pentecost means 50. Verse 10, then you shall keep the week of weeks of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute with the tribute of a free willing offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. Interesting, this was not the sacrifice was not a mandated one as with the Passover, uh, the Passover lamb. Instead, it's a free-willing offering. And that reminds us, of course, of the Apostle Paul teaching in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. God will provide for the free-will offering. And as a matter of fact, let's turn and make sure we have a, a complete understanding of how this, how Paul uses this. We're in 2 Corinthians Nine. Second Corinthians nine, and you hear this more or less completely on Sunday 
when I introduce the offering. So 2 Corinthians 9, 6, I think Paul has the free will offering in mind as he writes this or quotes it. Verse 6, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And he's he's introducing the individual who will bring his free will offering. Verse 7, so let each one of you give as he determines in his heart. This is the free will offering part of it. Not grudgingly, nor of necessity. So it wasn't mandated, and Paul is not mandating it here either. So we don't do it reluctantly or from compulsion, for God loves a gracious, a willing, and here we have it again, or a cheerful, cheerful giving. And then verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abounding towards you. So God would give you enough so that you can give. That you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance of every good work. And he he tailors this to good work. So that as we give, we we are performing good works. All right. Back to... Deuteronomy. I think that's an important point for us to remember is that God continues to provide for us so that we have something to give, to give graciously. Verse 11, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite who is within your gates, your town the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are among you at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. Verse 12, And you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. So the weeks, the Feast of Weeks, was a celebration of God's rich provision for his people. Therefore, each free will, every voluntary offering was to be in proportion to one's blessings from the Lord. God would bless, and there was never, uh, well, there probably was, but there shouldn't have been a sense that I can only give a little. God blesses you so that you can give, and he may only bless you a little, or he may bless you uh, quite a bit. And so that gives you whatever the Lord wants you to give. It's how he blesses you. It's not a challenge, a competitiveness uh, that you might have. It's, no, it's between you and the Lord, how he blesses you. And also the team, the, the feast was to be a time of joy and sharing. Since the Lord had been generous with the Israelites, they were to be generous with others especially with the less prosperous members of their society. Appropriately, God the Holy Spirit was given to the New Testament saints during the Feast of Pentecost. 
That was a gift from God on Pentecost. You may remember that. We studied that in Acts 2. This symbolized the end of the Old Testament system of worship and the beginning of the new, the new system, we could say, which was taught by the apostles. It also pointed to the fact that God's greatest provision for a Christian's daily life is the gift of God the Holy Spirit. So as they made the adjustment from the Old Testament system to the church age, to the New Testament system, this was God the Holy Spirit was a gift to us to assist us in our our lives. All right, now the Feast of Tabernacles or booths, or we could say shelters, verses 13 through 17. And this feast was a time of thanksgiving of what God has done for them. But even more so, they were to live in these shelters, realizing the provision that God had made to Israel. What's interesting here is the Passover had a historical event attached to it. And the Feast of Tabernacles had a a historical event, and that was the traveling through the, the wilderness. But the Feast of Weeks did not have a historical event. It had a present event, and that was God's blessings to them at the time. So verse 13 For you shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles booth seven days when you have gathered from your threshing floors and from your wine press. Remember, the Feast of Weeks was the barley harvest. The Feast of Tabernacles was the harvest of the wheat, of wheat. The Feast of Tabernacles was so-called because the Israelites, after the fall harvest, were to live for one week in tabernacles or booths or shelters constructed of tree branches and foliage. It was also called the Feast of Ingathering. It began on the 15th day of the seventh month, the month of Tishri. The fact that it was called the Lord's Feast of Tabernacles, and also simply the feast, may have indicated that this autumn festival became the, became the greatest of the three Israelite pilgrim feasts. And if we were to go back to Numbers twenty nine twelve through forty, as a matter of fact, let's let's take the time to do that. Let's turn back to Numbers twenty nine. In each one of these feasts, there was in other passages, like here in Numbers and in uh, Leviticus, there was an amount that was to be sacrificed. And in the Passover, we would have the, the Passover lamb. And over in the, weast, uh, in the Feast of Weeks, it, it says in verse 27, you shall present a burnt offering as a sweet aroma to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram, and seven lambs in their first year. Now, when we get down to 
chapter 29. Let's turn over to verse 12. On the 15th day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation feast uh, meeting. You shall do no customary work, and you shall keep a feast to the Lord seven days. You You shall present a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, as a sweet aroma to the Lord. Thirteen young bulls, two rams, and fourteen lambs in their first year. They shall be without blemish. That's the first day of the feast. Verse 17. On the second day, present twelve young bulls, two rams, fourteen lambs. Verse 20. On the third day, present eleven bulls, two rams, fourteen lambs. Verse 23, on the fourth day, ten bulls. Verse 26, on the fifth day, nine bulls. Verse 29, the sixth day, eight bulls, uh, two rams, and so forth. And then on the seventh, seven bulls. So you can see that this was a huge festival. festival. And so that's why it appears that at the end of the year, this was sort of the culmination of these feasts because these animals would have been given to the Levites, the priests and the Levites. And when the tabernacles, the Feast of the Tabernacles, was uh, when it occurred, all of these gifts would now be butchered and cooked and the Israelites would eat them together. All right, back to Deuteronomy 16. I just wanted to cover that for you. Verse 14, And you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, and the Levite. Notice that they include all of these people. It's not just for a select people of the of the family. It was for all of them. Also the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your town. Verse 15, seven days you shall keep a sacred feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses, because the Lord your God will bless you in all you in all your produce, uh, produce and in all the works of your hands, so that you surely rejoice. And so this was not just a time of worship. It was a time of rejoicing. Verse 16. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses at the feast of unleavened bread, at the feast of weeks, and of the feast of tabernacles or booths. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. So this was a time when they were supposed to bring the uh, Passover lamb. They were to bring the grain that was to be uh, offered. And also animals at that time, the free will giving. And then here in the Feast of Tabernacles, they were to bring as much as they could the produce of the year. And so it was a remarkable festival. And remember, they're also, they have <clears throat> have changed from their homes. They're living in shelters. 
I always thought that was interesting. But again, it was to remind them of Israel's time in the wilderness. Verse 17, Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. So it was the result of the blessing that God has given you. So in summary here, Moses reminded the Israelite men of their obligation to go three times a year to appear before the Lord. And as I said previously, that means that it was supposed to be the family, the entire family, uh, using the man as the representative of the family. But he wasn't to go by himself. He was to go with his family. Therefore, it didn't mean that a man's family members were not able to take part in the feast. They were. The ideal was for all family members, along with servants, Levites, aliens, the fatherless, and widows, to join in the celebration. Each man was to bring a gift, because the keynote of each of the festivals was the joyful expression of thanks for God's rich spiritual and material blessings, which they had experienced in the past year. The gifts to the Lord were to be proportionate to the people's blessings. And again, God blessed each individual according to his wisdom. And there were some who were blessed more and some less. Some had larger families, others had smaller families. And so it was never, as I said, it was never a, a competition. It was simply keeping your eyes on your own blessings, what God has given you. And that's the same today. We don't look around to try to determine how much somebody is giving or how, mu- how God has blessed them. We just know that God is blessing us. And we're able to give as he blesses us. That's, I think, one of the marvelous lessons that we can learn from this part of chapter 16. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for Moses' recording of this for us. And we're thankful that God the Holy Spirit has inspired it for us. We're thankful that it has been preserved so that we can study this. And we see how you dealt with the Israelites. And we know, Father, that... Your love for us is the same as the love that you had for them. And your love for us provides for us. You bless us. And some are blessed a little more and some less. But it's never a problem for us because we know that we give you from love, from our love for you. Father, we ask for your blessing upon our message tonight. We're thankful for God, the Holy Spirit's guidance and our application. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.